Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free by the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. Eliphas Levy is perhaps best known to modern-day occultists as the creator of the classic image of the Baphomet. But Levy was an important figure in the promulgation of occult theory at a time when interest in occultism was on the rise in his native France and throughout Europe, namely the mid-19th century. It's difficult to imagine the hermetic order of the Golden Dawn, Aleister Crowley, Wicca, and all that followed without Levy's contribution to reviving and teaching Renaissance and medieval Kabbalah and Christian mysticism. Reasonable people can argue about whether Levy's contributions, which were mostly a repurposing of older material, are overstated or understated, but he is, in any case, an occultist we should all know something about. And so, today, we bring you the occult confession of one Eliphas Levy. My name is Dr. Rob C. Thompson. I am your supreme hierophant of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, joined this day by our metallurgic prophet, Brianna Litterall. Hey, guys. Brianna, you did the, uh, what you call it, research on this as well with me? Yeah, yeah. I, I know more about this guy than I would care to, purely because <laughs> how dry the research you gave me was. Well. Compared to everything else you gave me, I was like, oh. Sort of the nature. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm reading about L. Ron Hubbard right now, which is by no means dry, but uh, is also like, it's one of those things, like more than I wanted to know about L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That laugh over there is Savannah Verrett, of course, our sister of the 84th digger. Hello. I felt the same way when I was researching uh, Walt Disney. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> yeah well oh, you were reading that book imagine. about trains so that's gonna well do the it. book title was epcot <laughs> walt's promise of progress city and then it was basically only about how much walt disney loved trains i was freaking out i was like oh my god when are they gonna start talking about epcot but yeah so <laughs> you said i got a book about trains <laughs> <laughs> all i can give you is trains Today, we will not be talking about trains anymore, I don't think, but I can't promise no. that it won't come up once or twice. I'll try to bring it up more often. Talking a lot about I broke France. nothing about trains. So. <laughs> okay, so it's unlikely trains will surface. All right, let's pledge it out. We the members we the of the members secret members order of the secret order actors, of chemical actors to commit ourselves to an honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. That's where we belong. Open up that order of confessors, please. Savannah. Bing bong boom. Is that good? That was so lovely. That was lovely. All right, we want to welcome a bunch of patrons this day. Uh, again, thanks for all the stars on Spotify. That is a beautiful thing. We want to welcome uh, Kat A and Mike F, Ryan S, Zane, Jackson W, Ian J, and Colin W. We've also been having an exchange with the Scarlet and Gray Witch. We want to thank the Witch for a pledge bump. Uh, and for that exchange and for the exchanges i've been having with a lot of folks out there uh people have been hopping on the website which feels a little old school but i appreciate it and sending <laughs> us emails <laughs> uh and i like that that's that's fine uh it can take me a little bit longer because i gotta copy and paste things to get around to uh making a response on the email but that is a delightful place to connect to us discord is also another delightful place to connect to us uh, and you know what, Savannah, I think this is an appropriate time for you to, I, I didn't warn you that we were going to do this, but I, I do think since you're here and it's June, I, th I think we need to talk about a project. I, yes, I, I thought that this might happen, so it's okay. Uh, and actually, uh, the, the reason I brought up researching Walt Disney earlier and Epcot is because um, I will be hosting Occult Confessions' newest project which we're going to be calling strange ride which will be a podcast where i teach the smartest man i know the weirdest things i know the smartest man being rob not brie i'm sorry <laughs> i'm not offended sometimes people often though are debating between me and brie when they're trying to decide who the smartest man is they know 
Are they really? Yeah, I've heard that before. I'm honored. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's going to be cool. So this is the Alchemical Actors' third podcast project. We did do the fictional Dark Bowl uh, project, which I hope to get back to at some point. Uh, But all of our energy right now is going into launching Strange Ride, which is a bit like OC. uh, Yeah, it's kind of, I kind of saw it as like OC in reverse, where instead of Rob being the the Hierophant, uh, he would be basically an alchemical actor, and I would be giving him a lecture on just like any weird pop culture thing I wanted to talk about. So, yeah, so the first episode <laughs> is going to be about uh, Walt Disney and his city he wanted to make, Epcot, where he was like basically a dictator and wanted to control every bit of it. Uh, and then we're also going to be talking about the Spider Man musical, the Broadway musical that almost killed a few people. I think we're going to try and talk about uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Because <laughs> Rob is... Yeah, we are. Rob has literally <laughs> never heard of it. So I'm like, I have to teach him the lore now. Wild. So. <laughs> Wild. Yeah, so basically just a pop culture podcast where we put a bunch of research into it and try and, I don't know, be smart, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it is an intelligent show, but, you know, not focusing on complex religious questions, but rather pop culture. Yeah. Uh, and pop culture deserves a close eye, too. Uh, you know, I'm going to be doing a little bit of um, episode writing for Savannah as well. I'm going to do some episodes on 80s music and TV shows and things from yesteryear. Uh, be, and you know all this sort of like frivolous frothy stuff we say but you know it, it's very popular and has a big place in the culture so it deserves a closer look uh, and and that i think is what strange ride is going to be all about yeah i think it's going to be really fun i'm i'm excited i really enjoy talking about epcot um i am in the process of editing the episode and it's very um conversation e conversational yeah, thank you my brain can't always come up with the correct words to use and i'm gonna be yeah, host well. a podcast so <laughs> but <laughs> yes well you get to do the written part i'm the one that has to come up with stuff on the fly that's true now. but yes yeah, so yeah. um it's very conversational so it's fun it's it's goofy we have a good time yeah yeah and full of insight full of deep insight <laughs> into the psychology of walter q disney <laughs> yes <laughs> you aren't ready <laughs> Brie get us on out of this we gotta go back to France um boom bong bing nice boom bong bing alright <laughs> we heard I a loud think boom I about that a little hard did you guys <laughs> but... did you hear the loud boom uh the sonic boom I did boom? not yeah we had a sonic know. boom in the mid-Atlantic region it stretched from Annandale all the way to uh up here in, in Annapolis we heard the sonic boom yesterday it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. Wild. Yeah, it was a little frightening. Hmm. And the story behind it is quite sad. But um, anyhow, it was a, it was just a jet airplane that was uh, a sonic jet that you know took off uh, and was given permission by the government to travel at, at uh, the speed faster than the speed of sound, seven hundred fifty miles an hour, and uh, that caused the sonic boom. Oh wow! Yeah, interesting. Uh, okay, <laughs> anyway, still not France. Let's go to France. <laughs> <laughs> Alphonse Louis uh, Louis Constant was born on the 8th of February 1810 in Paris. His father was a shoemaker and he attended seminary at Saint Nicole du Chardonnay and then Saint Sulpice. Sulpice. I got to get out all my French pronunciations today. <laughs> it's, it's the summertime. Uh-huh. I'm not really feeling the French pronunciations, but I'm going to make it happen. From childhood, he was preoccupied with. Kabbalah, also Gnosticism and Christian mysticism, something I'm sure many of our listeners can identify with. (laughs) (laughs) He became a deacon, uh, but delayed becoming a priest because he had fallen in love. This also sounds familiar. Does it not, confessors? How many of you were planning to become priests but fell in love? Yeah, if if I had a nickel. I think that's everyone. (laughs) We're surrounded. (laughs) Do you have a lot of nickels? (laughs) At least one. (laughs) At least one nickel. It was really you know somebody like that. Me, yeah, sure. Oh, you're the one. You're the one. That's right. (laughs) Our most atheistic (laughs) member was planning to become a. I was about to say, (laughs) you you fell in love with it. Birds. Yes. Uh, it was yeah. the late 1840s, and France was in a state of political turmoil with the rise of Napoleon the Third. 
constant, not to be confused with Napoleon I, of course, but it, it was a politically tumultuous time. Constant uh, wrote extensively from a kind of radical political perspective, which got him in trouble with the law. But he had not yet turned to writing about occultism in this first, uh, what are we, about 30 years of his life. Liberty, equality, fraternity, three words which seem to shine and are in fact full of shadow. These truths which in coming together form a triple lie, for they destroy one another. Liberty necessarily manifests inequality, and equality is a leveling process that does not permit liberty, because the heads that rise higher than others must always be forced down to the mean. The attempt to establish equality and liberty together produce an interminable struggle that makes fraternity among men impossible. At the age of 32, he met and married Noemi Cadio when he'd gotten her pregnant. All right. <laughs> well, not very uh, priestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, he gave up oh, on right, that, right, remember? Right. Oh, yeah, he threw that out the door. He met some birds, started to wonder whether they were real, and he gave forgot all about the priesthood. <laughs> then he got a woman pregnant, yeah, and so is the inevitably the next oh, pregnancy. Yeah. Could have been worse. The pair had several children together, none of whom survived to adulthood. Ooh. It was tough times, Yeesh. friends. Seven years into their relationship, Noemi started another relationship, this time with a magazine editor with whom she published under a male pseudonym. So, bit of a feminist. Noemi ran off without giving her husband much notice, and Alphonse Constant published his first occult work, namely The Doctrine of Magic, under the name Eliphas Levy. He walked a fine line in this book that he would continue to walk throughout his occult career. You know what? I'm thinking about this because I've been, as we've been going through this, I'm trying to do a French, French pronunciation of his name, but it, it seems to me that he chose Levi or Levi in part because of the biblical connotations of the priestly uh, uh, Jews, right? That would make sense. So it's not really a French name. What? But he still accented it like it was French. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I Is guess that, that a makes name? sense. I don't know anything about... <laughs> the Levites. The Levites were the priestly... God separated all the, the tribes of the Jews into... He gave them different jobs. And the Levites were, were to be the priests. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So I assume that's what he was going for there when he chose Levi. Oh, he attempted to remain within the boundaries of Orthodox Catholicism, despite the fact that the church opposed magic in all of its forms, with the notable exception of, you know, exorcisms. Levy, and also Jesus's miracles. I was about to so say, really, hang on a second. Isn't yeah. Jesus's whole thing doing <laughs> magic? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it depends on how you define Although, it. Although, I guess to be fair, I wouldn't... When you said exorcisms, I'd never thought of exorcisms as magic. I don't know what I considered it, but it didn't come to me as magic. I mean, it's still a ritual. There's still like magical practice if you look at like the process. Oh, sorry, the process of like um, exorcisms. I forgot the word for a second. <laughs> felling demons. Yeah, I mean, yeah, felling demons. In, in the the church doesn't like the word magic, but in our, my analysis, particularly the Catholic Church is engaged in all kinds of magic. I mean, people like Charles Ledbetter and you know all, all sorts of occultists have looked on Christianity and said, "Look how magic it is." Yeah, it's magic's magic. cool, man. I like magic. When I work with the spiritualists, they called Jesus the first medium. I think, I don't know if I've said that before, but oh. you know, that, that's a direct appropriation of Jesus as an occultist. That's kind of cool. <laughs> that is a pretty yeah. neat, yeah. He, uh, Levy reassured his readers that he was aware of Catholicism's prohibitions against ceremonial magic and had no intention of breaking them. But, uh, quoting him here, to demonstrate the natural foundation of the marvelous and to produce it at will is to annihilate for the vulgar mind that convincing evidence from miracles which is claimed by each religion as its exclusive property and its final argument. In other words, uh, Levy was aware of the threat magic posed to the priesthood because it could demonstrate that the truth of Christian miracles is actually the more universal truth of magic, which applies across denominations and faiths, a not-so-Orthodox view with a great big Orthodox caveat. So he's sort of making our point here. That 
magic is cool and everybody has magic. Jesus the Magician. Yeah. Nice. After his wife left, Levy fell into a depression, but he was drawn out of it by his fascination with the occult. Did you think I was going to say horses? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Oh. I thought you were going to say why trains. Why would we think... <laughs> yes but why and then begins well, a whole book pre-read about how leffy would go to train stations i swear if you gave me that i probably would have actually had a mental breakdown more than i already did writing this out he this, would these notes. go to the train station and the first thing he'd say is where are all the horses <laughs> ooh, ooh, what? Ooh, hey, what's, what, what's with the horses is it, where are the horses coming is chevalier, from bro? is chevalier french for horse or knight. Uh, I think it's knight. Uh, what is horse? I think a chevalier is a knight. Is chevalier I don't also know what horse? horse is. Maybe it's both. Anyway. It could be both. It'd be unfortunate for the knights out there. <laughs> Nobody knows if he's talking to them or the horse. <laughs> It'd be an upgrade for the horses, I guess. <laughs> he met and became inspired by Joseph. Wait, wait, Marie. why did you say the thing about horses? <laughs> Yeah, you didn't answer that. I was, I was just making a joke. Uh, was it just because of Chevalier? No, yeah, it's because Savannah's been playing uh, the Zelda game a lot. Oh, I, I yeah. do love riding my horse. Around. <laughs> the that is the point. Uh, Savannah and I disagree about the horses. You guys disagree yes, about the horses? I find the horses an enormous distraction and a he complete waste of time. everywhere. I ride my yeah, horse yeah. everywhere because I like to hear the clip clops. <laughs> i swear to god and i also got like a pretty saddle and a bridle for my horse so a bridle well now you so see you yeah, have to use and my the horse, horse is really now. pretty back in- i would probably fast travel everywhere too though no. yeah see? you miss out on well, a come lot on over, man. i've talked to a lot yeah. of people the Yiga clan has tried to kill me with bananas a lot so me too <laughs> me too i'm I'm down I'm in the basement. I'm glad we've reached yes. Zelda. I'm glad we've reached Tears of the Kingdom today. <laughs> we have to. It's 90% of how Savannah and I spend our free yes. time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I watch it a lot. I don't have access to oh. play it, so I'm uh, watching somebody play it right now. All right. He met and became... We're back in France. Uh, he in France. Met, I'm leaving all this in. He oh, met God. and became inspired by <laughs> Joseph-Marie uh, Hon, Honé-Ronsky which start, stopped sounding French about halfway through. Ronsky believed he discovered a kind of theory of everything, a universal key to the mysteries of the universe. Ronsky argued for the union of philosophy and religion, rationalism and belief. His pursuit of the creation of magical mechanisms perhaps best characterizes his thinking. He sought to invent a perpetual motion machine, but also created a machine that made predictions, the prognometra. Yeah, there was a lot of that. There was like two pages of this. I'm kind of delighted I, by this weirdness. It wasn't, it just didn't make sense. So that's why I kind of, I really shortened it. But it was, it was fascinating, but also very confusing because the two machines sounded very similar. So I wasn't sure which one that was being spoken about at what time during this two pages of, um, machines i pictured the thing at the carnival where there's the half of a lady in a big box and you put a quarter in and then she spits out a prediction that's probably what yeah that checks out le prognometre levy became interested in utilizing occultism to interpret the bible and after ronsky to understand the secrets of pretty much everything as one of the first modern occultists he saw occultism as an antidote to the scientific materialism of enlightened france Again, that's something we can all pretty well identify with in this circle of listeners. Levy's occultism amounted to a recovery of the major themes of the Renaissance occultists. That man is a microcosm of the universe, number one. That all things are bound together by a network of inner correspondences, number two. That there are entities on a different plane which can be evoked and manipulated by use of signs and talismans, number three. So you can see John D all over this, or the Rosicrucians, or you name it. Mm-hmm. This is not to suggest that he didn't innovate. Levy, that is. In one instance, he revived a Sephiroth in the Kabbalistic hierarchy who had been dismissed as false, namely Doth. What? Doth. D-O-T-H? D-A-A-T-H. Two A's. That's why I'm what giving it a little extra. Uh, what is the name Sephiroth? 
mean? Oh, the Sephiroth? That's uh, an angel. Ah, yeah. okay, because it's also a Final Fantasy character that's really evil. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> He's, I, it's, that's like his whole thing. His name Seth, is just Sephiroth? Sephiroth? Yeah. Hmm. It's a class a, of angels. There's the cherubim and the Nah, he's Sephiroth. he's pretty evil. I'm pretty sure he kills like the main character's girlfriend, and then he's also in Kingdom Hearts, and he's the hardest boss battle ever. I've never killed him, <laughs> never beaten him before. Sorry, just whenever I hear that name, I just thought it was a name made up no, for no. that game. A real, do you know all the angel orders, Bree? Sephiroth and the oh, cherubim I, and the... God, I can't think. Of. I'm not really a Kabbalah you've named guy. I the two that I know off That's the top of my is. head. Okay. Yeah. okay, I can't remember the rest of them. Yeah, there's like different occultists also will like add orders of angels that may or may well, not be there. I think at some point in my notes for this to you, I wrote them down. Oh, cool. Because I remember having to write them all out, but I don't remember. There's like ten outlines for this dude, just so everybody knows for the research um, for this. So I don't know which outline it's in, but I did write them down because I remember being like gotta make sure that's all spelled correctly because i can't copy and paste those words <laughs> well yeah because they're hebrew right yeah <laughs> there's a tree yeah. of life is i think where you find these things uh and it's the seven zephyroths yeah the tree of life shows you the seven zephyroths yeah how do you spell it well it, it sounds like you're saying it with a z is it an s yeah, it, it's an anglicized word from, I think, probably the Hebrew. So there's different spellings depending on how you're okay. anglicizing it. But because that's how it's spelled with an S in yeah, the, the Final Fantasy game. So. Yeah, yeah, it is spelled with an S uh, pretty consistently when it's anglicized. Okay, cool. So I guess it is a reference to that. Yeah. What is uh, Doth? <laughs> Doth is the patron of knowledge. Oh, Okay. Yeah, so that's who Levy brings back into the fold. He had been kicked out, and now he's he's back in the deal. Okay. Doth. More significantly, Levy connected the cards of the tarot with Kabbalah, linking the trumps with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet and the ten cards with the ten sephiroth. So that's now you know how many there are. There's ten of them in the group. Yeah, it was the coolest part of anything that I read about him, and... That's why I remember writing it down. But like the the connecting the tarot was really interesting to read. Well, because I think we're still doing that today, right? When we think about the occult interpretation of tarot cards, I, I think Levy is definitely coming into play with some of these interpretations. Oh, right? definitely. Like, yeah. um, and not a lot of people put much into them um, early on because everybody was like, nobody else has done this. What what are you doing, you crazy man? Why would why would you connect these things? Sorry. The suits were matched to the four letters of the unutterable name of God, the Tetragrammaton. So this is, for those of you who are not into Kabbalah, this is a fascinating aspect of Kabbalistic thought. Um, Lilith, for example, the story of Lilith, which I've told on the show, and I'm obsessed with Lilith. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be honest. I'm going to do a whole uh, episode on her because she hasn't gotten a whole episode and I have so much more to say about her, but that's coming in our uh, Genesis series. Um so with Lilith, uh, the, st the, the story of Lilith goes that she's on top of Adam and he's like, I don't want you to be on top or whatever. She wants to have sex on top. And uh, he's like, no. And so she says the unutterable name of God and vanishes. So, oh. yeah, what I'm, what I'm trying to say with that is that the unutterable name of God, the Tetragrammaton, so God's name cannot be spoken. We call God Yahweh, we call God Jehovah, we call God God, but God's actual name is an occult secret. And oh. you know that secret, you speak right. that name, it has a magical component to it. So Lilith's ability to like teleport out of the Garden of Eden is because she knew the unutterable name of God and spoke it, dared to speak it. And she blinked out of Eden and away from Adam forever. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's just an example of what you can do with the unutterable name of God. I was also in a play. Um, S. Ansky wrote this based on Jewish folklore uh, called The Dybbuk. And in The Dybbuk, mm. the main character uses the uh, Tetragrammaton, the unutterable name of God, to um, essentially possess his uh, fiance. The, the, the two, the, one of the fathers breaks the engagement uh, with this Hasidic student. 
uh, and the student gets really pissed off. So he says the unutterable name of God and his spirit possesses his fiance's body when he dies. So he speaks the name and speaking the name kills him and his, his spirit goes into her. Oh yeah. It's pretty metal. It yeah. is pretty metal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How the, how do you learn that power? Uh, you got to go to yeshiva school. Mm. <laughs> Doesn't sound worth it. It's a lot of studying. Uh, Levy also adopted the concept of the astral body or astral light, which would become a hallmark of late 19th century occultism. The soul, by acting on this light through its volitions, can dissolve it or coagulate it, project it or withdraw it. It is the mirror of the imagination and of dreams. It reacts upon the nervous system and thus produces movements of the body. It can take all forms evoked by thought, and in the transitory coagulations of radiant particles appear to the eyes, it can even offer a sort of resistance to the touch. He left for London, where he invoked the spirit of Apollonius of Tiana. We've talked about Tiana on the show before. Tiana was, as listeners may recall, a traveling healer and miracle worker in Rome around the same time as Jesus of Nazareth. A strange woman sent half a card to his hotel, Levy that is, not Apollonius, promising oh, yeah. the second half if he met her at an appointed place in time. So she sends half a card and I guess an additional card <laughs> that explains <laughs> what, what it's all about. So <laughs> I, I guess, can you picture this, man? You know what I'm talking about? Like if I sent you like half of a letter and on the letter is like, these are the instructions of how to speak the tetragrammaton in order to speak the tetragrammaton you must stand on one leg and you know hold salt in your left hand and then dot 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 and you know i rip it in half okay so she sends that to him and she's like if you want to know what the rest of that says you got to meet me oh man okay <laughs> so <laughs> yeah now i gotta leave the house <laughs> This is how to find the master sword. When he did, <laughs> she directed him to invoke Apollonius and ask two questions, one for himself and one for her. But this invocation disturbed Levy and warned, he warned himself against further conjurings. He would ever afterwards warn his students against performing such invocations. The human figure reappeared immediately, but I experienced such an intense weakness in all of my limbs, and a swooning sensation came so quickly over me, that I made two steps to sit down, whereupon I fell into a profound lethargy, accompanied by dreams, of which I had only confused recollection when I came again to myself. For that, the questions I had designed to ask answered themselves in my mind. To that of the lady, an interior voice replied, Death. It was concerning a man about whom she desired information. As for myself, I sought to know whether reconciliation and forgiveness were possible between two persons who occupied my thoughts, and the same inexorable echo within me answered, dead. Spooky. Yeah. Yeah, it was real spoopy to read. Like, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of fun and spoopy. This is one of, like, two things that I was like, whoa. Yeah, this is a pretty cool story. This is was he he was trying to learn how to say the name of God right. I'm just making sure. No, I no, didn't get Apollonius. Lost. So sorry, I was confusing you with the name of God thing. Okay, his the woman or the instructions were actually to invoke Apollonius of Tiana, this Jesus age guy. Well, okay, to invoke his okay. spirit to like do magic. So interesting. He, he came to her and she told him how to do it, and you know she said in exchange for teaching him how to do it, he had to you know give her something when he got the spirit there. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. In August 1854, <laughs> he returned to Paris, where he founded the Religious and Philosophical Review with his friend Charles Lemonnier. He got in trouble with the state when he published a poem, Caligula, in which he compared the French ruler Napoleon III to the Roman emperor. Again, Napoleon yeah. III is currently in charge of France at this moment. Caligula, not a very flattering emperor to be compared to. No. Oh yeah, I remember you teaching us about that guy. Caligula, yeah, it was a good time. Got stabbed by one of his bodyguards. He's the dude who had his bodyguards. own uh, island, right? Well, that's um, you're thinking of. Oh lordy, after Augustus comes Claudius. No, uh, there's the in between guy. 
Uh, so it goes uh, Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula. Caligula, Savannah, was a guy who um, sent the Roman army to the British Isles in order to conquer them. But when they got to the shore, instead of crossing the channel, he told them to collect seashells and come home. Oh, yeah. oh, I do remember that guy. I knew I knew there was a reason I remembered him because I think that is hilarious. He, what a practical jokester that guy. He um I think he substituted a horse back to horses for his high priest. He subbed them out. Uh and then eventually He made a horse his high priest? Or a donkey, something, some <laughs> equine character. And then uh eventually he was stabbed by a bodyguard, I'm pretty sure. Damn. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. I, I would probably stab him too. To yeah. be Nobody's honest. got a sense of humor anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you gotta. Bear. I feel like when you rule in a country, you can't have your high priest be a donkey or horse. No. I feel like that's well, the come line. On. Or send an army to collect seashells. I feel like those are two. Because uh... the pontifex was a state office too. I don't want to get too nerdy on Rome, but it was a state office. It wasn't like a high priest, like you know, a head religious figure. In a way, yeah. he was, but he was the. He was a, a state office, and it, it, I think it alternated. Right. Um, but the state office's job was to make sure that the gods were good with Rome, because if they weren't, like all sorts of horribleness could befall the city. Well, who better to know how Rome is doing than a donkey? <laughs> I can think of a few people better. No idea how to answer that question. Than a donkey. Um... I'm up for this guy. I like him. <laughs> so you heard it here. Savannah's for Caligula. <laughs> While in prison, collect more seashells. <laughs> our imprisoned occultist Levy wrote another poem, Le Anti Caligula, addressed to Napoleon III, in which he wittily apologized for having compared the emperor to a monster of antiquity. Sorry, Savannah. But pointed out that in view of the inhumane way in which he had been seized and imprisoned by the imperial police, it was small wonder that people mistook the emperor for Caligula. Zing! This was so funny to read. It's so stupid. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, to Napoleon III's credit, he was touched by the poem, and he promptly pardoned Levy, who was yeah. set at liberty. Levy oh, worked on... such a weird, like... It's a moment in <laughs> French funny. political history. Levy worked yeah. on alchemical experiments with his student and friend, Dr. Fernand Rossier. Uh, Elifas Levy, uh, quoting here, had been struck by the resemblance between pyrites and certain hermetic figures. This mineral is composed of crystals of ferrous sulfur grouped together so as to imitate to a fault an apricot. Everything is there, even the stalk. This resemblance of a mineral to a fruit seemed to him to be a signature. There was also something even more suggestive. Gold is often found in this mineral. So now we're doing these alchemical experiments seeking the uh, Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. Levy came to believe that pyrites could be nothing else but the first matter, the substance on which one had to work to obtain the Philosopher's Stone. He believed that he knew the secrets to practical alchemy, but claimed to only be interested in the practice as theoretical study. I'll point out that it, this is the time period uh, where we have folks like um, Hitchcock over Ethan Allen Hitchcock over in the United States. Uh, and there's a couple, I can't remember their names up in the UK who are uh, sort of beginning the practice of it, reinterpreting alchemy as a spiritual and metaphorical practice rather than a literal practice. I possess some very curious manuscripts of the hermetic art and I have profound knowledge of the mysteries of that science. I have seen the secret fire produced, and I have seen two metallic sperms are formed, the white which resembles mercury, and the red which is a viscous oil resembling molten sulfur. I know what can be done with gold, but believe me when I say that I will never do it. What would the Philosopher's Stone do for them? Base metals into gold. Oh, wow. Yeah. If we could make gold, gold would become worthless. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yikes, Savannah. It's the opposite of the plot of Goldfinger. When the, when the priest Jean-Louis Verger murdered the Archbishop Marie-Dominique Auguste Cibourg at the Church of saint antienne du mont boy, I'm working hard today. 
I'm sorry. It was so much the, my fault. Everything you're reading that's French, I'm like, I put that in the notes. So, <laughs> Verger murders Seabor. So a priest murders an archbishop at this at this uh, place for a variety of reasons, including Verger's op- opposition to clerical celibacy. So the priest. Oh. Sorry, you just made me choke oh. on my water with that. <laughs> my my uh, down home French pronunciations. Yeah. Uh, he, he murdered that guy because he was mad that he was getting laid and he wasn't. No, no, well, neither the archbishop nor the priest could get laid, but the priest said, I think I should be able to get laid. And the archbishop was like, No, you should not. Oh, okay, okay. So, how does this involve Eliphaz Levy? Well, he recognized the assassin as someone who had come to see him the year before, looking to obtain the grimoire of Pope Honorius. The book was fairly unique in that it was written to be used by a priest and contained formulae for curses and necromancy. Levy came to believe that Verger had obtained a copy, albeit not through Levy, which he used to prepare for the notorious murder of the archbishop. So, that's just a fun little story about. <laughs> Black the, magic. The grimoire is my kind of, my kind of priest, kind of. <laughs> Pope Honorius. Yeah. Englishman Kenneth Mackenzie told a story about Levy from 1861. <clears throat> so now we're just getting into some anecdotes, friends. One evening, Eliphas Levy was sitting at his desk thinking of Paracelsus and wondering why, in the works of the 16th century sage, he had been unable to find any mention of the tarot, for he was convinced that the great man must have been familiar with the Book of Hermes. In the midst of these contemplations, Levy fell asleep and awoke in his dreams in an alchemist's laboratory. A majestic figure appeared. It was none other than Paracelsus himself. Levy told the apparition of the question in his mind, and Paracelsus replied by reaching into a little purse hanging from his belt and extracting a copper medallion, which he handed to Levy. On the outside of the piece was represented what appeared to be the juggler or magus, the first key of the tarot. On the other side was an alphabet. Having shown him the coin, Paracelsus beckoned Eliphas to join him. Traversing the streets of Paris, they came at last to a point near the Pont Neuf, where the sage pointed to a spot on the pavement. The following day, Levy, remembering the dream, went in search of the coin. Passing along the Quai Conti near the Pont Neuf, he came to the place that Paracelsus had indicated, now occupied by a stall selling medallions and coins. He searched through the merchandise, and among a quantity of miscellaneous pieces, he found the very one that he had seen in his dream. That's super cool. Yeah. Levy collected a variety of students during his occult career, many of whom went on to leading roles in French occultism. One student, Mrs. Hutchinson, described his process of teaching. She said, He initiated me into holy science without revealing to me what he considered my level to be uh, and without making me experience any fatigue or tension of mind. As soon as he saw my enthusiasm for an idea, he led me to consider the opposite idea, thus producing equilibrium. Equilibrium was his aim to such a degree that I sometimes revolted against apparent contradictions. He kept his smiling gravity, making me oscillate between reason and faith, knowing well that the seed thus deposited in my mind would bear fruit of its own accord. So this was his uh, teaching method. I don't think that would work very well for me. I was about to say what, like you become passionate about something and then he's like, but be passionate about this other thing. Yeah. The beginning of every semester, I've got like three students in the front row who are like, you know, jumping out of their chairs and then everyone else looks about half dead. So if I can get anyone to be enthusiastic, (laughs) that's equilibrium for me. Yeah. It's hard to be passionate about projects. Well, for sometimes. So it's like, once you have it, I feel like it's nice to to have that but i don't know yeah let's just yeah hook it in no rob that would have been like if you had given me all of these french words and i did all of this for you and then they were like actually we're not going to use any of this so (laughs) we're only going to do the don't worry about it we're going to retranslate this all into german (laughs) (laughs) we're going to pronounce all the french words in german now yep (laughs) So go get those for me. <laughs> <laughs> Our French listeners would love this. I think we have mostly French Canadian listeners, but uh, Jean Baptiste Pitois, also known as Paul Christian, had been introduced <laughs> to occultism. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. 
<laughs> the way you said that really got me. Cool, because, you know, <laughs> he had been introduced to occultism by uh, the French author of gothic vampire fiction, Charles Nodier. Uh, Pitois worked with Nautier as a librarian and unearthed a collection of occult texts from the archives. Perhaps his greatest contribution to French occultism was his Histoire de la magie du monde supernatural et de la fatalité à travers le temps et le peuple, which is to say, the history of magic, the supernatural world, and fate. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering where you were going. I was I'm just like, gonna... he's just speaking another language now. For the I next 15 just... minutes, I will just speak French. <laughs> it's, it's just a two-sentence long title. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the Anglis is a, uh, the translation anyway of the title is shorter, but uh, anyway, Paul Christian was one of Levy's major students. Uh, so after Levy's style, Christian kept his occult writing within the boundaries of Catholic belief, and his book proved to be a hit with the French. Uh, so there's a couple of his students. Levy had at this point developed his own recipe for a well-ordered life. I'm going to quote this here. Bree, I don't know if you remember this. I loved this. A great calmness of spirit. Oh, God. A great cleanliness of body. A constantly even temperature, rather on the cold side than too hot. (laughs) A dry and well-aired lodging where nothing is incongruous and there is no reminder of the base needs of life. In parentheses, I would be just as ashamed to display a wash basin in my apartment as to go out into the street without my trousers. (laughs) Okay. Well-regulated meals proportional to the appetite which should be satisfied but not overstimulated. Simple and substantial food. Stop work before one becomes tired. Take moderate and regular exercise. Never allow yourself to become overexcited in the evening to ensure that the greatest possible calm precedes sleep. Yeah, this is one of the things that I was like, I literally cannot leave this out of my outline because I think Rob would be delighted by this. I am I delighted. Was delighted by it. He's sort of. He like, sounds like what? Oh, he sounds like the most boring person ever. <laughs> but like, he tries at it. Like, he works to be self-consciously dull. Yeah, it's wild. Like, it, there's such an effort behind his dullness that it's exhausting. I mean, I guess <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> In a way, that makes him interesting. Right, yeah. exactly. Like, it's weird. It's a weird cycle. I mean, like, I guess you would be the calmest if you were the dullest. Like, I don't know. I don't, it's kind of interesting, but like, I couldn't ever see myself living like that. I d- he is the least controversial occultist that you've had me cover or like research. Yeah, because so. he tries so hard not to piss anybody off, unlike Aleister right. Crowley, who, you know, or even Blavatsky, who wanted the publicity that came with yeah. invoking, you know, the name Lucifer or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a couple things I would say about Levy in this regard. It's a kind of Buddhist monkey path here, or or maybe just even a Christian monk. Uh, this notion of, well, I don't know, a Christian monk. There's a lot of self-deprivation. In the case mm-hmm. of you know, like a someone who's really following a Buddhist path to the letter, there's an active attempt not to get overexcited about any one thing, overattached. There's this complete detachment which in theory results in a similar lifestyle, I would think. Yeah. I also want to point out, just because of the day I've had, because there's been some people freaking out at work, uh, and then my kids are constantly freaking out because they're small and that's what they do. And my daughter just graduated from pre-K, so you know, transitions makes children off the walls crazy. Um, But sometimes calmness is in itself kind of interesting. Like if there's a person... And sometimes I, I think you guys have seen me. I can, I'm kind of good at this. Like when everyone is freaking out around me, I'm generally the one who can stand calmly and say, "Let's think about what's happening here." Mm-hmm. Yeah, not always. There've yeah. been a few instant. Last year, I got rocked off my axis a couple times, and I was very upset at myself for it. But I pride myself on my ability to not get rocked off my axis. Mm-hmm. So I think, in that sense, Levy's got a thing going here. It, because he is dealing with a lot of weird and wild stuff in vocations of spirits and that kind of thing. So an attitude of calm makes sense if yeah, you're really dealing with, does. you know. And 
it's like just reading him, you get a vibe that he he takes a lot of pride in his work with this stuff, but he doesn't see it as his identity in the slightest, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah. he doesn't fully identify as this occultist who does these things or like he doesn't identify himself with his work. He keeps himself a separate entity from the work that he does. Yeah, it's weird because the huh. other people don't really do that. Usually, it's like their entire identity is wrapped up with the their occult pract- practices or whatever. But like, he's very much like, "This is work. This is me." Two separate things. Like, he treats it like a job, like in a good way, not like a "I'm tired of it" way, but like a keep it separate from personal way. In a way, he's like most of us workaday podcasters, you know, the difference between us and an Instagram influencer. Now that don't get me wrong, the podcast world is full of people who wish so badly that they were influencers or want to be influencers. But I can walk through my life. Like even if I was in Sweden where I'm beloved, I could walk down the street (laughs) and no one would know it is me. Right. You know what I mean? Podcasting Mm -hmm. is a kind of like perfect medium for a levy attitude toward having thoughts and opinions and wanting to express them to the world. Yes, we want to put these ideas out there, but no, we're not trying to create a cult of personality around ourselves. But Blavatsky, Crowley, and them are like the er influencer. They they desperately wanted to create this cult cult of personality. And today, when you think about influencer culture, it's the opposite of what you just described, Brie, right? Like your whole life is consumed by your effort to be this i mean uh the the video game people what is the thing where you play video games and people watch you what's that like streamer twitch oh are you talking about live streaming it's twitch is it twitch Twitch. yeah Yeah, twitch i mean those people that's like 12 hours a day they're in their bikini in the hot tub playing video games that's your whole life (laughs) anyway I mean, it's not. There's not only bikini people on Twitch. It's just how I picture. I've never been. I don't watch any <laughs> bikini people been. on Twitch. <laughs> I actually don't even really watch Twitch. I like the edited videos better. I do but. too. Yeah. Somebody's got to be watching those girls because they seem to be making some money. Oh, they do. They do. <laughs> <laughs> Lovey received a visit. Uh, oh, where were we? He had also taken on the habit of healing the sick through magical means. His 11-year-old neighbor, Marie, suffered from a weak chest and persistent cough. One night, the girl was sleeping in bed with her mother, and in a half-dream state, the mother imagined she saw Levy standing above the bed. It's cool. Things are going to go okay, you guys. Don't get the mind in the gutter. <laughs> Levy? I, I didn't know who you were talking to for a second. Yeah. <laughs> everyone, just everyone. Levy was similarly dreaming of curing the girl. The mother asked Levy, You who cure those who are ill, prevent my little one from coughing. Levy replied, Very well. I wish her to stop coughing. The mother sat bolt upright in bed, and the girl's coughing ceased. She never coughed again. This sounds a little bit like Rasputin to me. Yeah, it is. Well, and also it sounds like a lie because, like, how do you <laughs> avoid coughing for the rest of your life? Oh, oh, yeah. I guess yeah. You're, you're holding her to the letter there. I, I, I take that to mean, Savannah, that her coughing fits had ceased, and okay. that's, that's what I understood. <laughs> okay, no, I took it extremely literally, and I was like, "Fuck off." Maybe Savannah <laughs> said, "I'm here that. to disprove everything." <laughs> she never had water go down the wrong pipe ever again. Yeah. That'd be pretty, pretty good, though. That'd be a good deal. That's a I wouldn't mind nice not period. ever coughing again, but both of my, well, my daughter in particular has a drinking problem. Yeah, that's that's an issue. She's always like gets too enthusiastic about the water. Okay, he said that he in said a that very that really, weird way. Yeah. He said my daughter has a drinking. I know because that's what I say to her. <laughs> oh my god! It's like, honey, we got to do something about your drinking problem. She's four. She understands nothing more about drinking problems than that that's what she has. I know, but she's going to go to that school she's and be having like, a my physical dad says, inability. Yeah, my dad says I have a drinking problem. She'll choke on her apple juice and the kids will be like, are you okay? She'll be like, I have a drinking problem. <laughs> oh, uh, we can dream. A few days later, yeah. uh, Levy cured the mother of a headache by taking her feet into his hands. Levy received... A, huh? Yeah. No, no joke. <laughs> There you go. The headache? He cured a headache with her feet? It's a little Jesus-y. I was just going to let Rob blow through that. I wasn't going to question Savannah's not going to let that go. No. I just... It's a little Jesus-y. Okay. 
Lovey received well, yeah. Lovey received a visit from a curious stranger who he came to find out was the occultist Giuliano Capello. Some of them Twitch girls too will let you do that for a certain amount of money. Uh, yeah, they will. <laughs> I'm kidding. They won't because they you don't know their address. Levy received a visit from a curious stranger who he came to find out was Giuliano Capello. Levy had never met the man, but he seemed to know everything about Levy, past, present, and future. Let's hear from Capello. You are the man of the pentagram, and the years marked by the number five are always fateful ones for you. Look back and judge for yourself. In 1815, your moral life begins because your memory does not extend further back than that in 1825 you enter the seminary in 1835 you leave the seminary and enter into freedom of conscience in 1845 you publish le mer de deux your first essay into religious synthesis and you break with the clergy in 1835 you are free having left a woman who absorbed you and subjected you to the binary mark that if you had remained together she would have destroyed you completely or else lost her reason. Then you went to England. Well, what is England? It is the job of present-day Europe. You went there to steep yourself again in the virile and active principle. It was there that you saw Apollonius, sad, chafed, and tormented as you were then, for this Apollonius that you saw was you yourself. He came out of you and re-entered you, and he is there still. You will see him again in this year of 1865, but this time beautiful, radiant, and triumphant. The natural end of your life is marked barring accident for the year 1875, and if you pass that date, you will carry on until 1885. Apollonius, when you saw him, feared the points of swords, and you fear them like him. For at this moment you take me for a madman like the one who came one time with the intention of assassinating you. You arc wondering anxiously if I'm going to terminate my extravagant behavior with some similar action. Levy asked if the man was a spirit. He was not. Spirits are scorpions who pump a cadaver's venom under tombstones. They draw the dead to them, but do not resuscitate them. Soon the earth will be covered with walking corpses. We are in the epoch of death. Yeah. It's been a while since we've heard that. Zombie apocalypse? We are. In 1860. Is that what what? they were implying? The zombie apocalypse? It sounds that way. The walking corpses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He he predicted that whole show. It didn't happen. Oh, he predicted the walking dead. (laughs) And it's our. In 18, bunch of movies. In 1865, he published The Science of the Spirits. He came down with a severe case of influenza, convalesced at Madame de Balzac's chateau. He recovered, but this would be the beginning of a long series of health troubles for him uh, that lasted the next decade. He was beginning to suffer from persistent headaches and started work on his Grand Arcan. He was visited by two farmers who believed they had been cursed. Their crops and livestock had died, and they had been visited with personal misfortune as well. Levy gave them each a talisman with the image of the microcosm on it, and the farmer told him, uh, both farmers, that they not only that not only did it protect them from a strange affliction that attacked them on the road back, but protected them from harm once they returned to their lives. Hmm. I don't know if that was like a horde of locusts or what happened to them on the road. But... <laughs> yeah, I don't know a what happened to them. Affliction. It didn't say. Strange affliction. That's interesting. That's cool. Angry donkey. He seems like a nice guy. Like that's cool. Yeah, yeah. He's. I think he's a. Fa- uh, he's a. Uh, he's not snooty. He, he doesn't hold. You know, he, he, the farmers and you know regular folks. He's a man of the people. He's a bizarrely humble man. Yeah. Is how I would put it. <laughs> Christ-like in a way, uh, you know. Yeah, that's weird. On the 29th of May, 1875, one of his former students visited him and discovered him near death. She found him persuaded a priest by the name of Father Lejeune to come. On the 31st of May, two days later, he had a long talk with Levy and in all probability gave him absolution. The priest's visit was timely, for shortly after his departure at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Eliphas Levy died. 
The burial mm-hmm. took place at the cemetery of Ivry. A small group of devotees was gathered round the grave, and a speech was given by Levy's friend Henri Derol. They He spoke of Levy's courage in renouncing the priesthood, of his personal charity, of his efforts to unite science and religion, and of the great writings he had left. The panegyric ended with these words, Farewell, Constant, honest and loyal soul who never knew charity and yet practiced it with dignity. Rest in peace, and may the sincere grief of your friends be the proof of the void which you have left among them. Adieu, adieu, and perhaps au revoir. Goodbye, goodbye, perhaps we will, you know, see you again. Yeah. Levy shared an interest in a dawning new age with the occultists who would follow him for the ensuing century in the posthumously published Clé Major et Clavicule de Salomon. Uh, Levy argued, what are we looking at here? The major key of Solomon. Levy argued that the earth is ruled over by a succession of beings who are called Mitotron Sarpanim. Oh, right. This whole thing. That sounds like some nerd shit. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. It just sounds like a bunch of like a bridge transformer lore. I I literally was going to say it sounds like transformer. It does. It just sounds like transformers. But Jesus, I don't. Enoch, the mythical great grandfather of Noah, because Mitotron sounds like, uh, What's his name? Megatron. Megatron. Megatron yeah. Well, I feel Enoch, like it's but, not the only word that sounds very transformative. No, there's a lot of Trons. Well, but it's also yeah, Kabbalistic. It's the Trons are the, yeah. in a lot of Kabbalistic terms. Back to Enoch, the mythical great-grandfather of Noah, who wrote the account of the angel's fall to Earth. Uh, Enoch was the first of the Mitotron Sarpanim, uh, then Elias, then Jesus. Each Mitotron has two reigns, returning to Earth after journeying through all the planets of the solar system. The culmination of these epochs is the second coming of Jesus. Uh, that sounds kind of like um, the Kellogg's guy's thing. Oh, uh, the Urantia book. Mm-hmm. He didn't. Well, he, you know, the guy who did, invented the cereal is not the same guy as the guy who wrote the book, but the, the relatives. Oh, right. Are, yes, I hear you, though. I know what you mean. Yes, because he talked about, or that book talked about, you would just travel to planet to planet throughout your many lifetimes and stuff, right? Yes, and uh, we're going to do A.J. Davis next, the Poughkeepsie Seer. That's how we're closing out. And A.J. Davis talks a lot about entities on other planets. What's specific about this and inaccurate because it's the 19th century is that the extraterrestrial, which we now envision to be on distant lands, uh, in the 19th century, there were people who speculated that there were actual Martians and Venusians and Saturnians and Jupiterians. Hmm. So, yeah. So we would become them when we died? Well, Jesus is off visiting Jupiter right now and he'll come oh, back to us I eventually. Gotcha. Yeah. Talking tables and rapping spirits have announced the return of Anak. He will return when the papacy has lost all authority in the world and the Kabbalistic sciences are flourishing once again. The advent of Elias will closely follow that of Enoch. Then Jesus, the savior of the world, will come to the earth a second time. He will be preceded by the Antichrist, whose mission will be to prepare the great temporal empire revealed in the gospel. Closing thoughts on Eliphaz. He seems cool. All right. <laughs> I, I like, I like, I like how humble he is, and that he helped a lot of people. He seems like a nice guy. We worried, we worried he was going to be boring at first, but yeah, he, he, there's interesting things. He was an interesting guy, but humble in his mode. He wasn't a grandiose figure. I say, I feel like boring applies to him in the sense of like he doesn't have all of the showmanship or all of the the bluster and bravado yeah right he's just a chill dude doing following his beliefs and trying to to share them and and, um expand on other things like he's just trying to do do some work and spends most of his time in france i mean unlike blavatsky who's going to tibet and all over the world and america and starts off in ukraine or crowley who's in mexico and Egypt um, and freaking Morocco. Like, Levy's just chilling. He goes to London. 
<laughs> yeah, and like half the people, uh, they show up at his door in every single story where he's having an encounter with another spiritual person or or he's having an, his own personal spiritual encounter. Everything shows up at his front doorstep. Like he doesn't go to anything. Yeah, he's it shows up to him. He's like the old school alchemist, like the old monks yeah. who would have the people like travel miles to come to their monastery to learn the occult secrets of alchemy from them. It's I think that's right. sort of what Levy functioned as. I mean, way out of time, like hundreds of years after that medieval tradition had long since passed. There's Levy. Still doing it. It definitely tracks though, because um with the grouping of stuff that we didn't get to in this episode that I that I did for you. Like, there's a bunch of people that just are like, like there's this one dude who's like, I heard about you, but like you're not tough crap. Uh, my dude's better, and it's this dude who has a bunch of controversy around him. <laughs> and Levy was like, I'm good. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is Levy's interaction with masonry, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Was- there's a lot of masonry trying to creep into his life and he's like nah i'm good see this was a bit of a tangent for us but brie is going to work on that for a uh, patreon episode so mm-hmm. take a look out there for that to pop up and we'll have slender man popping up soon as well on patreon and uh as i have mentioned i am actively at work on uh l ron hubbard it's going to take me a while because this is going to be the first time we've done a multiple episode i've written a multiple episode series for patreon but that is on the way and i will be dropping some of that content here on the main channel but Got to be a patron to get the full access. All right, let's get on out of here, friends. Bring us on home. Bree, you know the thing. Oh, um, I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors until such a time as we get together and do it again. Truly, Sean Priest and Brandon Walls provided our voices this day. Uh, we had Brianna Litterall as our metallurgic prophet. Bye, guys. <laughs> and Savannah Barrett as our sister of the 84th. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Listen to Strange Ride. It's going to come out the last Thursday of June. Yeah, so you're not going to miss Strange Ride on this channel because we will be dropping the first couple episodes right here for you to listen to. Uh, but after that... Uh, You're going to have to go ahead and subscribe to Strange Ride on its own area. Occasionally, uh, I'll drop you reminders and stuff on here. Uh, but my uh, goal we are we have to get folks over to subscribe to the uh, actual go show. Go subscribe to Strange yeah, Ride. Don't, to, don't listen through us. <laughs> yeah. Go over there. Yeah, we won't be posting all the episodes. We just want to post a couple here to get you guys interested and, and hear what it sounds like to be doing this new show. And uh, then we hope to have you over there. Uh, the really cool thing about this, every one is that we have been dreaming and dreaming of having three episodes a month uh, but that is tough Uh, I don't have the bandwidth to do that Uh, and uh, while the show does make money it doesn't make enough money to call me away from all of my other responsibilities so um, luckily Savannah stepped in uh, and uh, there is money coming in Uh, I guess this is a way of saying like patrons have made this possible Without patrons, we could not afford to have the new website, to roll out the new marketing, to put the logo together, and all that it takes to roll out a brand new show. Uh, And so patrons have made it possible for us to begin turning out three episodes a month, Uh, albeit not all in the occult, uh, but certainly doing our unique brand of cultural analysis uh, now on two different shows. So thank you, patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, guys. (laughs) And that is a good note to close on. As I said, uh, AJ Davis, oh, me, my name is Dr. Rob C. Thompson. I am your Supreme Hierophant. I will be coming back uh, to this show uh, next time after we post some Strange Ride uh, with the last episode in our Occultist by Request series. Now, some of you, many of you, several of you have been dropping me brand new Occultists by Request, but uh, I have to close the door on this for now. Uh, I am keeping a list. Uh, sometimes these requests that we, we get, it, uh, I incorporate into other topics. Uh, but if I can't find enough ways to subsume your suggestions into uh, other seasons that I'm creating, then we'll do another round of our occultist by request. Uh, but it will be A.J. Davis to close out. 
Uh, AJ Davis is a fascinating person, someone I have been fascinated with since grad school and I've spent a lot of time working on. I never had a chance to read his entire um, book uh, on the principles of nature. So I did for this episode and uh, it is going to yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it's going to blow some minds out there. It is a bizarre and fascinating tome that he wrote entirely while in trance. Uh, so if you want to hear about A.J. Davis, as I'm sure you do, the Poughkeepsie Seer will be our topic next time here on A Call Confessions. Bye. Bye. Oh no! Well, it, well, it's completely off topic. If it wasn't the right guy, so it no, doesn't it's matter. not Caligula. But I really should have this on the tip of my gun. Sejanus was his main guy. He had Sejanus killed. Anyway, uh, no, it was not Caligula. What are you thinking of? <laughs> Remember the guy? He had an island and he Tiresias. Had, like, no, uh, Tiresias Ty- is a Greek guy who was blind and had yeah. the genitals of both people. Damn it, I gotta look up the first Roman emperors. Let me do it on my phone because my computer's going really slow. <laughs> this episode's gonna suck to this edit. Is okay, completely here we off go. topic. We don't need it. But I wanna and know. No, but Rob needs it now. It starts yeah. with a T. It definitely starts with a T. Uh, Augustan Emperor. Because didn't he get banished to his island? Like no, that, he left. that was his exile? He went himself. No, yes, you're right. Because he wanted to diddle uh, teenage boys and girls. Right. Oh, right. That right. guy. Yeah. I like how that's what jogged my memory because I tried to block <laughs> that individual out, I guess, because of that exact thing. It's the diddling. Yep. The diddling, yeah. List of Roman emperors. There we go. Are these going to be in chronological order? Yes, here we go. Principate. Augustus Tiberius. Damn it. Tiberius. I was close. <laughs>